0: And welcome to the Witch Hut. I'm your host, Chelsea Martinez. I'm a practicing witch and a longtime tarot enthusiast, and today's episode is in honor of World Tarot Day, which is coming up on May 25th. Today, I'm doing something a little different, and instead of a special focus on one tarot topic, I'm giving you a Whitman sampler of assorted tarot subjects. As a quick aside, this is the second time I'm recording basically this whole episode. My cat just would not let me go more than a few minutes before he would start meowing, which I don't really mind, but then he would start bumping against the desk and making noise that I couldn't really edit out or that wouldn't really be all that fun to leave in. I've been trying to record during the time of day when it's a little bit more quiet on my street, but that's not when I'm recording this, so there might be some noise. I feel like I apologize for the noise kind of a lot, so I just want to kind of quickly address it one last time and say that I'm recording this podcast in my apartment, not like a studio or anything like that. I try my best to edit out noise or work around it, so consider this my blanket apology for the rest of time that you might hear the loudest truck on earth or music playing outside or a cat or three at times. I've never actually gotten any kind of negative feedback about this, but I do try to mitigate it as much as possible. And with that, let's dig into some tarot goodness. My journey with tarot began when I was a kid, but for the purpose of this story, I'm going to very quickly only give you the relevant information. First, I did have some pretty accurate reading experiences, but I was not ever actually particularly adept. Second, I didn't stick with tarot until I was an adult, and I was very off and on with any kind of tarot practice until I picked it up again in my early 20s. So, when I was in my early 20s, tarot was having a resurgence in popularity. At the time, I didn't consider myself to be a spiritual person, although I was still interested in the paranormal and I wouldn't say that I did not believe that tarot cards worked, just that they weren't for me. I remember noticing all the cool new decks that were starting to become available. I had lost my old deck, but I didn't think it was such a huge loss since I didn't really ever like it that much to begin with. Around that time, I went through a very long and traumatic breakup, and while things were still ending with my ex, I remembered how much I had enjoyed Terra when I was a kid. I bought a new tarot deck, and since I had made it my goal to, like, really learn how to read tarot, I also bought a real book so I wasn't just learning from the little white book that's included with most tarot decks. And because I was going through a breakup, of course I did a reading for it. I drew the tower and was shocked that it didn't mean that we were going to be together forever. The relationship didn't last, but I was bit by the tarot bug. I wouldn't say that I fully threw myself in, but I had a tarot journal and I did readings pretty frequently. I met someone else and did a reading and drew the tower, like, less than a month into that, and I tried to convince myself that this time it would mean the exact opposite thing and would be a great omen for our future. That also ended very badly, and what always stuck with me was that my drawing the tower wasn't just me picking up on bad vibes in the relationship or anything like that. When I did the reading, it was early enough in the relationship that there weren't really any problems. I don't think that you can take any single instance as incontestable proof that there's something supernatural happening, but I would consider this one of the experiences that have led me to believe that tarot does work. Eventually, tarot became my spiritual outlet. At the time, I didn't really know what I was talking about when I would describe what I felt during a reading, and later I would realize that I was having a spiritual experience. I became as passionate as I was about tarot because for me it was a safe way of being spiritual. A lot of the criticism that I had for spirituality as a whole didn't come up with tarot and I felt like I could enjoy it without analyzing it to death. Of course I wanted to explore this passion and share it with others. At first I wanted this in a purely social way, but at the time I was also very broke and tarot sounded a lot better to me than a terrible retail job. My goal was to be a professional reader, and this is a fork in the road that brings up a lot of mixed feelings for me. On the one hand, this was wildly unhealthy for me personally. On the other hand, I did learn a lot, and there are mistakes I made that I know not to make again. I learned a couple of things pretty quickly. First, I learned that I'm not very comfortable with the influencer-like social media presence that a lot of spiritual workers develop. I really dislike feeling like I'm being finessed, and since I had had a sales job, I can spot it a mile away. I didn't want to do the exact same thing I had to do working retail for significantly less money with even less stability. Second, I learned that the people who are looking to buy readings almost always are in the position to have to pay for them because they are not the readings I want to do. I've had the opportunity to do some really fun and interesting and exciting readings, but usually people want to ask about some married dude or whether or not they're pregnant or if their partner is cheating. The people who are looking for these readings don't want a reading, they just want some comfort. But by the time I had started taking some of these clients, I had relaxed my ethics enough and I felt the need to draw a firm line that I was absolutely not going to tell them anything that the cards did not tell me. Ultimately, what I took away from this experience is that it's better not to monetize something that you love because the love you have for it is a thing you aren't able to buy back. Around that same time, I had some of my friendships with fellow tarot enthusiasts end in ways that were very upsetting, and between this and the way that being a professional reader had made me feel, I started to have a very hard time connecting with my passion for tarot. At this point, I will occasionally take a tarot client, although it's only when I genuinely want to read for that person and when I have time to do it, and honestly, I would only do that for someone I already know. I do like to do readings for myself and for others, but that passion and excitement hasn't quite come back. This podcast is helpful because at least I get a little bit of tarot time every single week. I don't know for sure if that passion will ever be what it was. I'd love for that to be the case, but in some ways I wonder if that ship has sailed. The thing is, tarot isn't my only or even my primary spiritual outlet these days. I don't think I can actually go back to the way things were because the landscape of my spirituality has changed. And to be completely honest, a lot of the questions I used to ask were about problems I don't really have anymore, and as someone living in this timeline, a lot of my questions are too scary to ask. But even if that passion is never quite the same, that's okay. One of the major themes in tarot is that things change, transform, and exist in a new way. I don't have to feel the same way about tarot as I used to, just like I don't have to be the same person I was when I was 25. For now, it's enough to just figure out what that passion for tarot has transmuted into. Okay, so I realize I just spent several minutes telling you about how I don't like tarot as much as I used to, but something that I know how to do is enhance your tarot reading experience. First, and probably most important, which deck you use matters it should be something you can look at and easily interpret. Not everyone can read a pip-style deck or something super minimalist. I feel like most people will do better with more detailed images, and it's important to pick something with symbolism you can connect with. Not only that, your deck should be something you, you know, actually like. If you think it's hideous or frightening, that's like a brick wall between you and an enjoyable tarot experience. I'd say that it's also good to look at a deck from a practical standpoint. I've had decks that were made of horrible cardstock that made shuffling uncomfortable or difficult. I've also had decks that were too small for their highly detailed images, which turned into kind of a blur once printed on the actual cards. I own decks with terrible print quality that I hope will get reprints someday, and no matter how much I actually like those decks, they just don't get used as much as the decks with better quality images. I often won't use a deck if I don't like the way it feels in my hands or if I feel underwhelmed when looking at the images on the cards. Aside from a deck, or decks, that you like and find readable, I also suggest having a book you like. I personally really like Tarot 101 by Kim Huggins, but there are a lot of books out there with very well developed interpretations of each card. Some of the books that come with decks are pretty good, but I don't like to rely on those as my main reference, since most of those books are meant to get you doing a reading and not necessarily studying the tarot. Now, what I would advise is creating a tarot journal wherein you write down your own notes on the meanings of the cards based on what you've learned through your practice and your studies. That being said, I have done this. It was a great learning tool, and I abandoned the practice once I was able to read without looking up the meanings of the cards. And although I sometimes think about doing it again, I still have yet to actually do it. So while I'm suggesting it, I'd also say that it's probably sufficient to have at least one, but ideally more, really good tarot resources on hand. If you have those basics taken care of, but you find that your readings are still lacking a little something as an experience, I have some tips. It's good to figure out what your ideal reading setting is like. Are you someone who needs complete quiet or tons of privacy? Or is it better if you can go to a coffee shop or a nice park where there's some background noise and maybe a little less pressure to be super, super serious and spiritual? I've had some excellent tarot experiences in busier locations because I didn't feel like I had to expect perfect concentration out of myself. I also like a little bit of music during readings and complete silence isn't ideal for me. Physical comfort is also really important. If you're sitting in an uncomfortable chair at a table that is at the wrong height for you, you just aren't going to want to sit there for a long enough time to really enjoy your reading. Being distracted by heat or cold sometimes isn't avoidable, but that can make it hard to get into the mood to completely immerse yourself in a reading. I also suggest checking in with yourself to make sure you aren't too hungry, thirsty, or tired to read without being distracted. If you've achieved the baseline necessities, which is a decent environment and basic physical comfort, you can start to add things to enhance your experience. If tarot is something you want to take seriously and it's at all possible for you, I really recommend setting up at least a small reading space. This could be a corner of your bedroom or even just a few things on your desk. Having a reading space can be great for ease of use since you can always have a deck and a book or maybe a spread cloth or other reading essentials, which means that when you're ready to read you can do it without having to get things out and set them up. But it's also great because you can control your environment a little more and set yourself up for a good experience. The most important thing that I think people often overlook is lighting. Good lighting is important to me. I don't have super fancy custom lighting installed, but something that I like doing is using string lights instead of my ceiling lights. This creates a softer, diffused light that comes from many points instead of just a single source, which means that I can have a very well lit space that doesn't give me weird reflections off my glossy cards. A banker's lamp in an otherwise dimly lit room also works well and can give you a really cool, moody feeling. Playing around with different warmth levels of light bulbs can also help you get the effect you want. I also like to use scent to set the mood of my reading space. I don't like to burn incense, but I love to toss some sticks into the cupboard where I keep my tarot decks. I also love scented candles and you can find pretty much any scent you could ever want in candle form. Something that can help you set up an ideal tarot experience is to choose a scent that is what you use during a reading and only use it when you're having your tarot time. That way, the scent will be associated with tarot and it will be easier to get yourself into the tarot mindset. Music, or any kind of sound, is also something to consider. Having a tarot playlist can be good so that you can let it play and you'll know that whatever comes up won't break your mood. It could also be interesting to see what songs on the playlist come on if you put it on shuffle. Meditation music is also something I like to use and I'm a big fan of the artist Aeolia. If you like the public atmosphere but you want a reading space in your own home, there's an artist on YouTube called Nemo's Dreamscapes and they make compositions meant to give you very specific vibes. There's one where you're on a train and somewhere you're at a party and there's music playing in the next room. I know that there are lots of other artists who make compositions with very specific vibes and having something like that playing might give you a little bit of that ambiance of a public space while still allowing you to be at home. Lastly, if you find that you really want to get into a good mindset, adding some type of ritual aspect before your reading can help a lot. There are studies that show that when subjects were given a kind of ritualistic set of instructions in order to open a candy bar, they reported enjoying it more than they did when they were allowed to just open and consume the candy bar normally. That can definitely be applied to your tarot practice. If you feel called to do a prayer or a chant before that can really boost your tarot reading mood, but you can also ring a bell, play a sound bowl, or anything else that will clearly mark the space and time as special. One thing I've learned throughout my tarot journey is that everyone, and I mean everyone, is afraid of getting a bad reading at one point or another. Or if you read for others, it can be very difficult to navigate a reading that might not be super positive. A couple years ago, I was in an occult shop and I overheard another customer asking about the tarot decks. They seemed really curious and said they wanted to take it to a party, but didn't want any bad readings to ruin the vibe. I was so shocked to hear the sales associate tell them to take out all the bad cards and just give the readings anyway. That's a prime example of how not to deal with tarot-related nervousness. A lot of scary reading situations can just be avoided by choosing to not read for things you aren't able to handle a negative answer for. If hearing an answer that isn't what you want will hurt you and make you anxious or depressed instead of feeling informed and empowered to figure out your next steps, tarot is not the tool you need right then. You might not need information. You might just need emotional support and space to work out what you're feeling before you add more information to that. But I've given this advice a lot, and the other thing I found is that no matter how sound that advice is, lots of people are not here for not giving themselves a reading when they want to. So what happens when you do the reading anyway and you don't like the answers you're being given? Here's the thing. There are cards in the tarot that will give you an immediate oh no reaction, and it's important to not allow your shock at seeing one of these cards prevent you from seeing the message. The Three of Swords is scary to draw, But it can teach you a lot, and it isn't inherently bad or as bad as you might think it is. So don't forget to pay attention to the rest of the reading, where the scary card actually is in the spread, and what the entire rest of the reading says. And if you're really struggling to let go of that reaction, it's okay to look at the rest of the reading, record your thoughts, and make note of the fact that one card is really freaking you out. Then, later, you can re-examine that with fresh eyes and see if you can get anything more valuable out of that card. Now that might not be an option if you're reading for someone else. What I would suggest in that case is to focus on what else is happening in the reading and focus more on the things the querent can learn or what they can do. Use your outsider's perspective to shift the focus away from what's scary and more towards what will make the querent feel empowered and supported. One thing you should avoid doing is repeatedly reading for the same thing in the hopes of getting a better outcome. If you do a reading for a situation and the reading tells you that it might not be smooth sailing, I understand that there's temptation to decide that actually that reading didn't really count and so it's better to do another one. The thing is, there's no bottom to that well, and all you're doing is creating a confusing and stressful tarot experience for yourself. The same goes for readings you do for someone else. Don't be afraid to cut people off if they're asking for readings that won't actually benefit them. If you absolutely feel like you simply must read about that one situation, there are a couple ways you can go about it. My preferred solution is to do an oracle reading. Oracle decks tend to be a little bit more upbeat as a whole, and usually they can focus more on advice over predictions. You can also use a more gentle deck that has images that tend to be a little softer. You won't be able to avoid negative answers exactly, but you may be able to avoid having the gut punch moment of seeing a card that is shocking or scary to look at. I also very strongly suggest that difficult questions should be phrased with care. In my experience, negative predictions don't really offer much. They can confirm what you already know to be true, but if you're asking a question that is likely to get you an answer you don't want, you probably already know the outcome of that question. So instead of asking for a prediction, maybe you should ask for guidance. I tend to prefer to ask for guidance over predictions anyway because I feel it makes it possible to disentangle yourself from the impulse to fixate on a good versus bad outcome. Instead, you can focus on what you can do in whatever situation you may find yourself in. I think if I had to pick something I would want any tarot reader to come away from this talk with, it's that you don't have to be afraid of a scary reading. I always like to say that tarot isn't necessarily set in stone. Sometimes you may receive a warning in a reading or perhaps some guidance to help you hopefully avoid but at least mitigate some of the potential difficulty of any situation. I also want to emphasize that tarot won't cause anything bad to happen, but it can put you in a scenario where you have something to fixate on unnecessarily. However, used appropriately, tarot can also be empowering and motivating. As someone who absolutely loves collecting tarot decks, I know all too well the heartbreak and frustration of getting a deck you're really excited about and then finding out that it just doesn't work for you. There are lots of reasons why this can happen. I've had decks that are effectively unusable because the card stock is so bad. I've also had the unfortunate realization that although the cards I had seen were fantastic, the deck as a whole is underwhelming. And sometimes the deck is just fine and you like the art, but it isn't something you like reading with. When this happens, you have a few options. You can find the deck a new home, especially if the deck was expensive or hard to find and you might be able to recoup some of the cost of purchasing it in the first place. You can also just pass it along to someone you know will love it the way you weren't able to. Sometimes this is a good option if you haven't really used the deck a whole lot, so it's basically new. I also like to try and save the deck if I can. Plenty of really great tarot decks are hurt by design mistakes like hideous borders or plain white edges that make the deck look kinda cheap. Something I've had a lot of success with is trimming or edging a deck. Trimming is, just like it sounds, cutting away the unwanted borders. This won't get you a deck that's perfect, but if you have some scissors, a corner rounder, and patience, you can get a very usable deck without borders and edging the deck is applying some type of finish to the edge. I usually use sharpie markers, and again, this won't be perfect. But it can elevate a deck that looks a little bit cheap and turn it into something that looks more finished. Black works really well for most decks, but I've also used other colors. Sometimes I'll match the color of the back to the edge color so that it looks like the color goes all the way through the cardstock. But if you're having a problem with the cardstock or there are cards you just don't want to read with, that's a little bit of a different issue. There are lots and lots of alternative uses for a tarot deck, and before I get into talking about some of these things, which will basically turn your deck into something other than a tarot deck, there is something I want to say. Something that I've seen very often is the idea that a tarot deck is capable of having thoughts or feelings or in some way having some kind of opinion about how you treat it or what you use it for. I am not here to tell you what to believe, but in my own perspective that's kind of nonsense. My personal view is that your tarot deck can't hold a grudge or decide that it likes your friend better than it likes you so it's not going to work for you anymore, and I'd even go a step further and say that choosing to believe that a deck has sentience can be harmful to people who are just curious about tarot or even harmful to people who just don't want that applied to their tarot practice. This could be a much longer rant, so I'll end it here, but I want to emphasize that in my view, as someone who loves tarot and magic and all that stuff, there is not functionally a difference between buying a tarot deck and buying any other paper printed with ink. Now, if you do want to leave the deck intact, but you've realized that you either only like some of the cards or you like all the cards but you find the deck kinda hard to read, something you can do is use the cards for meditation images or to use as altar images. This is a good way to enjoy the cards that you like in a way that doesn't necessarily require you to interpret them. If you're willing to cut up or otherwise dismantle a deck, a tarot deck is basically a pack of 78 images that you can use to collage or to use an art. You can use the cards in art pieces or decoupage them onto decor items. You can also use them in a tarot journal if you want to include card images in your journal. I have a friend who uses cards to make bookmarks and the same friend will also send out readings by mail where he'll include the cards and his interpretations of the reading which can be a really fun surprise to receive. I've also sent out tarot cards in the mail if I know I won't be using them and the card reminded me of someone. I've also seen cards with holes poked through to hold earrings and you could also use this to hold a swatch of yarn or embroidery floss. You can also use a card to back a more flimsy piece of paper, so if you printed out photos and you want to make the physical piece thicker, you can attach a tarot card to the back for added heft. I can think of a bunch of ways to decorate with cards. I think they would make a really cool garland if you strung a bunch together and use them on a yule tree or even above a doorway. You could also attach little hangers to them or tie them to a string of fairy lights, although you should probably check to make sure that that's safe before you do it. These are just a few ideas to help you see that you don't have to want to read with a deck to show it some love and give it new life. These ideas can also work if you've lost a card or damaged the deck and you don't want to just throw the whole thing out. I think that tarot decks have some really amazing artwork that can be used in ways beyond just to do readings, and seeing that in the world around you can give you a little boost of tarot happiness throughout your day. For this very special tarot episode, I'm going to use my very favorite deck, which is the Fountain Tarot. I love this deck almost beyond words. It's unlike any other deck, and I would recommend experiencing it in person if you can. It's pretty different from the Rider Waite Smith, and although I find it very readable, I'd also say that it might take a little extra time to learn its language. The Fountain Tarot is a 79-card deck. The extra card is an added major and I don't usually like extra cards and choose not to use them, but I feel like the expansion on the major arcana makes a lot of sense. The extra card is titled The Fountain and I see it as that step between the world and rebirth as the fool. It's the return to the source and I find that it represents a sort of unknown, or rather the unknowable. Just like last week, I'm pulling two cards with the intention of just seeing what comes up. Our first card is the Ten of Pentacles, although this is a deck that calls it the Ten of Coins. And our second card is the Knight of Wands. The Ten of Pentacles is the fully realized end of the Pentacles suit. In this card you'll see the concepts of established wealth, stability, and agency over one's home life and health. The Ten of Pentacles represents having money not just to buy things, but to use it to make more lasting changes. On the one hand, this type of wealth can easily lead to corruption and I think it's important to mention that when discussing this card. As an aside, one of my favorite ten of pence is from the Deviant Moon Tarot because it shows a father and son literally playing a game of chess on the back of their servant, but they don't notice that the servant is stealing the pieces. But beyond the shadow side, since we aren't all using our money to buy social media platforms and take pretend trips to outer space, the ten of pence can be very positive. If you have access to money beyond survival, what are you choosing to use it for? Can you choose to support ethical businesses or local shops rather than billionaires who are killing the planet? There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but have you taken the time to examine your spending habits to get a little bit closer to ethical? Or at the very least, to make a difference for someone else, like a local artist just trying to make a living? The Night of Wands is all fire. This night is impulsive, daring, and hot-tempered. He's eager to try anything at least once, and he doesn't often think about the consequences before he acts. Despite that, he's still very charming and lovable, although his more level-headed friends may lose patience with him, and his more sensitive friends may find themselves hurt from remarks that hit just a little too hard. However, what this night can teach us is to explore the world around us with passion and zest, leaving behind preconceived notions. When taking these two together, what immediately jumps out at me is the idea of using whatever privilege of stability you may have to give yourself the freedom to explore. This can be literal exploration, like travel when it's safe to do so, but it can also be exploration into things you've always been curious about or have not been allowed to experience in the past, if you want to take a class for the fun of it or or fully throw yourself into a passion project it might be time to figure out how to make that possible for yourself and with that we're at the end of our time here in the witch hut if you're in california please don't forget to vote on june 7th you can register until the 23rd of may so there are still a few days left after this episode has been released voting is super easy especially if you take advantage of voting by mail but you still need to plan ahead Personally, I don't usually drop my ballot in the mail, and I prefer to find a ballot box, which you can do on your county's official website. I know here in Santa Clara County, there's a QR code you can scan to find your local ballot boxes. Anyway, please vote. Take your cues from the Ten of Pentacles and help create lasting change in the world around you. That's kind of a cheap joke, but I'll make a cheap joke if it gets you to vote. Keep up with the Witch Hut on Instagram at the Witch Hut Pod or follow me at Chelsea the Witch for podcast updates plus everything else. Don't forget, if you listen on Spotify, there's a super fun poll for you to answer. Until next time, stay safe, own your power, and be magical. Which deck you use matters. Are you done? Are you done?